Well, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible comes from the book of 2 Kings, which I know all of you have read many times over. Uh, but it does come from 2 Kings. It's in the Old Testament. And the book of First and 2 Kings is actually pretty fascinating because it outlines the stories of the many kings who ruled in Israel and Judah uh, prior to Jesus coming and the, the exile of Babylon and all that. And so you hear of these, these different kings and there's sort of a mixed bag, right? Like many of the kings are corrupt and they, uh, they're unfaithful and they're prideful and they welcome in all these false gods. But then you have these other kings who are actually pretty faithful. They're reformers. They bring people back to, to God and to the purpose of the kingdom. And whenever, throughout the history of Israel, whenever these kings begin to uh, corrupt and, and, and keep people from, or people start to stray from God, God sends a messenger, a prophet, to bring them back. And that's what he does. He brings this prophet back to, to bring the people of Israel back to him. And in, in 1 Kings, we're introduced to, to one of the most famous prophets in all of the Bible, a guy named Elijah. And by 2 Kings, we're introduced to a second prophet who's trying to get these kings to get their act together. It was the protege of Elijah, a guy named Elisha. And Elisha, like Elijah, is regarded very highly among the Jewish people as one of their great Prophets. And honestly, though, Elisha, he faces some odd circumstances. I mean, Elisha, he just goes through some weird stuff. Like Elijah, for instance, uh, later in his life, he's one of the few prophets or people to never have died. He just one day gets on a chariot of fire and goes to heaven. Like Elisha's like, okay, that's not normal, but all right, see Elijah. And then he has this conversation with a donkey yeah, like that's in the book. And he, he revives this boy's life by laying face to face on him. It's really weird stuff that Elisha goes through. And yet he's this really endearing, powerful prophet in the kingdom of God. And my favorite story from Elisha's life, though, comes from 2 Kings chapter 5. And so that's kind of where we're going to be here, the beginning stages of this, this message. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, we meet Elisha and a guy named Name it. Now, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Uh, you can also download the YouVersion app if you uh, so choose, or you can just follow along on the screens. All of it's going to be up there as well. Right, so prior to this story, Elijah, these, the original, the OG of the prophets, has left and, and gone to the heavens, and it leaves Elisha to sort of take the reins and lead God's people back to him become the mouthpiece of Israel. And so in turn, Elisha begins to perform some small miracles. He heals some people. And we begin to get, see him get his feet wet with this whole prophet thing. And then in 2 Kings chapter 5, Elisha is still pretty green. He's a rookie to this whole prophet thing. He's approached by a very challenging guy named Naaman. Okay? Now, Naaman is a powerful guy in the country of Aramea. He's a commander in the army and has exhibited great strength and power through the army. He's led them to victory after victory in battle. But there's one problem with Naaman. He has leprosy. He has leprosy. Now, leprosy is not only physically debilitating, but it is also socially debilitating. If he were a, a part of the Jewish uh, heritage, he would actually be exiled from the community, outcast of the community, so as to not make the rest of the community 
unclean. And he's a a man, so he's not really up against that. But, you know, people with leprosy at the time were looked upon as different, as outcasts, even within different countries and nations. And so it wasn't abnormal for even uh, different nations to outcast their sick and the lepers from their cities and towns in order to be you know, considered healthy and contain this disease. And so it's likely that Naaman's leprosy is fairly new to him because he's still this commander in the army and it's, you know, hasn't spread so much that he's, uh, you know, he's still allowed to live in normal civilization. But here's the thing, apart from a miracle, it's just going to get worse. And as it gets worse, it's going to make his life worse, not just physically, but also socially. He will most likely lose his position as the commander of the army, and it's very likely that he'll be outcast into communities with lepers and away from normal civilization. So it is recommended to him that he go see this guy named Elisha. This this guy, you know, God's prophet, to go see Elisha. We've heard he's doing some miracles. Maybe this Elisha guy can help you name him. So this is where we pick it up in 2 Kings Chapter 5, verse 9. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. I mean, who's, does he not know who I am? I am the commander of this army. And what, he didn't even come And he says, and then I expected him to, you know, wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord, his God, and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Havana, and the Farpar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. I just love the audacity of this guy, right? It sounds like us all the time. Like, God, just wave your hands over it and make it better, right? Why do I have to go in a river? Why can't I use my pool? You know, I mean, we just come up with the craziest ideas, audacious things that we say to God all the time. And this is what I love about this story, because Naaman goes to the one person who has the potential to heal him and then gets mad at Elisha for what he prescribes. Ever done that? God says, do this. We're like, how dare you tell me to do that? Doesn't sound like any of us in this room, right? We're all, we're all good. We're not, we're not like name it at all. But it does. It sounds like us. We go to God asking for help, and then he tells us something we don't want to hear, so we turn around and we walk away in rage. How dare you call, tell me to do something like that? I'm not going to do that, right? Now, fortunately, Naaman's officers are in their right mind, and they're able to calm him down and reason with him to try and you know, do what Elisha asks. And Naaman takes their advice, you know, after he calms down, and in verse 14, he does what Elisha asks. And here's what it says. It says, so Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. And in that moment, something changes in Naaman. His, his worldview is altered. In that moment, you see this prideful, arrogant, audacious, quick-tempered army commander be given a new lease on life, and it sparks something new in him. In fact, here's his response in verse 17. It said, then Naaman said, all right, but please allow me to load two of my mules with earth from this place. 
and I will take it back home with me. From now on, I will never again offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other God except the Lord. He comes up out of those water, and he is so changed. He is so moved. He wants to take dirt from the place where his life was saved, where his life was changed, and bring it with him as a way to remember the goodness of God. And then he says, and I'll never worship another God. I will always follow the Lord. I mean, this is a dramatic change in naming, right? The Arameans were known for worshiping and following a false god named Ramon. And following Naaman's healing, he vows to worship and follow only the one true God, which is to be expected. I mean, when a person experiences this sort of healing in their life, a physical healing, a spiritual healing, an emotional healing, there really is no turning back to the way you once lived. You can't go back from that. But here's where things get complicated for him. He has to go back to where he's from. Internally, things have changed, and he can't go back to the person he was, but he does have to go back to where he is from. He has to go back to being the army commander of this Aram uh, army. He has to go back to being under the rule and reign of the king of Aram. He has to go back to the culture that worships this false god. And as Naaman realizes what the future holds for him, he says something that I think all of us can relate to. Here's what he says in verse 18. However, may the Lord pardon me in this one thing. When my master, the king, goes into the temple of the God of Ramon to worship there and leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me when I bow. Mm-hmm. And most of us would be like, how could you do that? How could you? you, you know, Daniel didn't do it. Daniel didn't bow to a false God. How could you go back and, and do this? And the reality is Naaman has been changed. He's choosing to follow the one true God, but he's going back to a life that is in complete opposition to the change that he's experienced and the decision that he has made to follow the one true God. So he asks for forgiveness for re-entering a very contradictory world. Author N.T. Wright, who by the way, if you've never read anything by N.T. Wright, you should go to a store or go online and buy one because he's brilliant. He writes this. He says, he, speaking of Naaman, is caught between the vision of a living, loving, and healing God and the reality of his compromised and muddled life, hemmed in by lifeless and useless idols. Do you ever feel that way? You've experienced this new life in Christ, and yet when you go back to work, when you go back to your community, when you go to the store, when you're just watching TV, you, you feel caught in these two worlds. Like in, you, you feel caught in this compromised and muddled life. And it, it gets murky and you're not sure how to do that. How do I follow God? How do I follow Jesus in the middle of the murkiness of our world? Aren't we so often caught between the relationship we have or could have? Maybe you're exploring that with God and the reality of a compromised and muddled life. And I love Elisha's response to Naaman. He says, go in peace. Go in peace. He doesn't say, you better not bow down. You better figure this out right now. You better not bow down. You better not compromise. 
You better see the straight and narrow from this point on. He says, go in peace. In other words, Elisha is saying, I get it. I get it. This following God, this following Jesus thing in a compromised, muddled world, it's challenging. I get it. You're going to be faced with some things where you're not quite sure what to do. But you need to know how gracious your God is. How loving your God is. That even when you bow down to this false God, even though you know your heart is not in that, your God is not going to look on you in condemnation, but in forgiveness and in peace. As you navigate the difficulty of following a God, the one true God, and the compromised, muddled world of the life that you live in. We are in the second week of a series called We Are Genesis. And over a six-week period, we're going to be looking at uh, where God, or excuse me, five-week period, where God is really leading us as a church. We spent the last six months kind of trying to figure it out, put our head around that, put some words around it, and really lean into, God, where do you want us to go now? And our goal was simple. We wanted to gain this clear vision of the future for our church. And uh, last week, we unpacked the overall vision for our church. I mentioned it earlier, this thriving community of changed lives, changing lives. And you can go online and listen to it. I recommend you should if you missed it. And today, we're going to unpack the first and I think the most important of our mission priorities. And that is that we as a church want to be people who are developing as followers of Jesus. Above anything else, anything else we do, we want to develop as followers of Jesus. We want to learn how to follow Jesus more closely. Jesus' first instructions were for people to follow. Right When he calls the first disciples, he doesn't say, believe in me. He says, Follow me. Follow me. There was a statement among rabbis in the first century that young disciples, as they chose to follow a rabbi, they would want to be covered in his dust. That they would follow so closely that they would literally be covered in the dust from his footsteps. That's the kind of people Jesus wants, is people who are following so closely that they would be covered in who he is and what he does. So we want to be a church that is continuously developing followers of Jesus, that we are continuing to follow where Jesus is leading. This means we want those who aren't yet following to take that first step. And it also means that we who are following would continue to grow closer in that relationship to Jesus. But here's where things get tricky, because it is tricky. Right? Because like Naaman, when a person decides to follow Jesus, when they say, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus, and you see this with the disciples as well, you have to work through this contradictory, muddled world that we live in. And so the question becomes for us, how do we as a church, how do we as people follow Jesus in the paradox of our world? How do we follow Jesus in all of the contradictions and compromises and muddiness of the world that we live in? Because I think for most of us, that's the great struggle. It isn't that I don't love Jesus. It's just it's hard for me to know, how do I work through the life that I live when I have this changed life inside of me? And I think it's best described in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, great passage from the Apostle Paul. And he says this, he says, So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. 
Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, Paul's words really reveal, I think, three things. He hits on three things that are critical if we want to develop as followers of Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus more closely. And then I added a fourth. Not because I don't think Paul has it all, like he's a really smart guy, he's in the Bible. But I do think there's a fourth thing that helps us when we consider how do we, how do we develop as followers of Jesus as we walk through this model world. And the first thing is this. We need to stop and take time to revere God. Another word for that might be to worship God. But Paul says the first thing that should happen when we decide to follow Jesus is we ought to revere God because of what he's done. That we ought to offer our whole lives to God and say, you have changed my life and I give everything to you. There's this, this process of revering and worshiping God, of opening up to God and saying, do something new in me. Now, prior to Jesus, the way that people did that was through animal sacrifices. I'm very grateful that Jesus died and is the ultimate sacrifice because then I'd be still responsible for killing chickens and stuff. And I don't really want to do that at all. So don't bring your chickens to be sacrificed. But these sacrifices were a way for people to let God know that they were his, that they belonged to him, that they desired to follow him and listen to his instructions. But now because of Jesus... Paul says our worship should be the full surrender of ourselves to him. That we don't need to make sacrifices all the time. The one great sacrifice has been made, and so we ought to revere and worship God for who he is with our whole being. And while this is an ongoing thing, a daily thing, I will argue that the place we are inspired and moved to revere God in new ways is right here on a Sunday morning. Right here on a Sunday morning. I mean, we spend hours crafting services that enable us to become people who love and worship and follow Jesus. And we craft services that move people who have yet to become Christians, who have yet to make that decision to follow Jesus to do so. And it's funny, you know, last week we looked at the, the book of Acts, Acts 42, 40 through 47. And one of the first things that the people of God do, that the first followers of Jesus do, is it says that they get together and they revere God. They worship God. It says they do it daily. Daily. They're gathering together, worshiping, being reminded of who God is and what he's done. And they're inviting other people to be a part of that experience and their lives are being changed. Here's the deal. I've been a pastor now going on 18 years. And uh, I can tell you this. I, I've watched people stray from following Jesus. And it breaks my heart. And nine times out of ten, where it starts for them is they stop coming here. They, they just, they stop coming on a Sunday morning. Other things are more important. They just, they had a falling out, whatever it might be, but they stop coming to Sunday morning and it doesn't take long before you can watch their lives get caught up in the muddiness of our world. 
And I pray that they'll come back. And many times they do. And when they do, there's this rejuvenation that happens in them. But it really does start here. I've met people who say, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't really go to church. That is nearly impossible. Uh, I have not seen that be, be done well. I've not seen a person be able to follow Jesus wholeheartedly and completely give up on a Sunday morning. It just doesn't work because this is where it starts. Paul says this, that we ought to take time corporately to revere God, to worship God. And I know that following Jesus is more than just a Sunday morning thing. That's not what I'm saying. We're going to get to that. But it really does start here for us. You cut this out of your life, and you'll look back in six months and go, what happened? What happened? And so for us to develop as followers of Jesus, to grow more closely to Jesus, we have to be in this room regularly. Amen. I get it. You got a vacation. I don't want to go on vacation and all that kind of stuff too. That's not what I'm talking about. But if, if we don't make this a priority in our lives, following Jesus is nearly impossible. We need each other, and we need this space to love and worship Him. So Paul says, revere. That's first. Secondly, he says, is to renew. Paul says, when you're following Jesus in a world of compromise and contradiction, there is something that will enable us, more than anything else, to navigate the moneyness of our lives. And it happens when our minds are renewed, he says. When our minds are renewed. In other words, the mind is an incredibly powerful tool in helping us develop as followers of Jesus. It is the entrance point from which we experience change and are able to move closely to Jesus. Now, this does not mean that we all need to quit our jobs and go sit in an ivory tower and you know study the ancient Greek and Hebrew and, and just be knowledgeable about stuff that doesn't really matter. But it does mean that our attention ought to be on one primary source, one guiding source for our life, and that is God's Word. It's God's Word. You remove this from your life and you will instantly get caught up in the muddiness of this world. True. There, is, there is nothing that is more guiding than this. The Bible calls itself a lamp unto our feet. It doesn't say spotlight. We like, we'd like it to because then we could see everything God wants to do. But a lamp unto our feet. That This work of art, you could call it, these words in this Bible actually create this way for us to navigate the muddiness of our world. Through the renewing of our minds. This powerful thing that God has given us. It's one of the reasons why I've challenged all of us during this series to read through the book of Acts. I mean, maybe reading the Bible is new to you. And so this is an easy way to just begin that process. To read a chapter a day. There's a, a list of what you can read this week right there on your, your message notes. But simply spending a few minutes, just a few minutes each day hearing from God. Allowing God to renew our minds is essential for us to follow Jesus in our compromised world. We need God's voice to cut through all of the other voices of our world. Amen. And there are a lot of voices competing for your attention. So many things are competing for our attention. And when God's word is absent from our life, we are bound to compromise our priorities. Uh, Joshua 1.8 this young leader following Moses. I mean, talk about filling shoes that are not, you know, your size, right? Joshua's supposed to follow Moses. And 
One of the first things that God says to him is this. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. Joshua was a warrior. Joshua led the Israeli army into a battle after battle after battle to secure the promised land. And God doesn't say, make sure that your plans, your war plans are in shape to go fight these battles. He says, no, the first thing you need to do is you need to study this book. You need to meditate on these words. It is only then that your plans and all of the things that I'm going to call you to do will succeed. It starts here. If you want to make it through this world, we need to renew our minds. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on a day and night. We need this more than anything in our daily lives. We, we need this more than anything. We ought to take time for it to renew our minds. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says you've got to take time to revere God. You need to spend time renewing your mind, being put on that path where it is guiding you in the right direction. And then he says you've got to respond. You have to respond. Paul ends this passage by telling us that when our minds are renewed by God's word, we are capable of responding then to his will. In other words, following Jesus isn't just about worshiping him, and it isn't just about reading the Bible and being renewed by him. Ultimately, following Jesus is about responding to his will in our life. It's about doing, we talked about that last week, it's about doing something with what God has done in and through us. And it's only discovered through the revering and the renewing process. But we've got to respond. James 1.22, I love it. Just, this is Jesus' brother, right? I feel like Jesus' brother has like, that's a hard job to be Jesus' brother, you know? Uh, but James, he just comes out swinging and he says, but don't just listen to God's word. you got to do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in the mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. Which sometimes isn't a bad thing, right? <laughs> forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I love the bluntness of James here. It just cuts right through it. The murkiness that may exist with God's word and a response to it. And he says that being a follower of Jesus is an action. It is a verb. Follow. Respond. It demands a response from us. I mentioned last week that I believe the greatest detriment to the church is that we're too passive. That we do, many of us, we show up here on a Sunday morning and we worship God and we read our Bible and we do nothing. We hold on to it or we're, we're afraid, whatever it might be, but we do nothing. And God is saying, I have given you this new life. I have given you this word of mine. I have given you this space to worship me so that your mind would be renewed, so your heart would be strengthened, so you would respond to it. That's the point, right? That's the changed lives changing lives part of our vision. That we wouldn't just sit idly by and listen to the beautiful words of God, but that we would take that and we would do something with it. Something meaningful, something transformational in our world. Come on. It's our response 
is so important to this following Jesus things. It means we are actively responding to God in our personal lives and our relationships. We, we read about how to manage our finances and we respond. We don't read it, oh, that's a great idea. I'm just going to do it my way. Right? But we hear about how to follow Jesus more closely in a sermon and we respond. We are challenged to build relationships with those who aren't following Jesus and we respond. That's how this works. And listen, our response is rarely ever the same. There isn't like a, here's how you do it. But the response is, in that process of being renewed, we've discovered, okay, this is what it looks like for me to respond to this. So Paul says, listen, if you want to follow Jesus, this has to be a part of who you are as a people. That you take time to revere God, that you take time to be renewed by God, and that you take time to respond to what God is doing. And then I will add a fourth thing. And that is that we got to repeat it over and over and over again. Maybe the thing that is so hard sometimes is to be consistent in some of the things that we are called to. Right? Like we want to be here on a Sunday. We want to spend time in God's Word. And maybe we do it for a week or two, but then three months go by and we're like, oh, No. And that is challenging. Don't get me wrong. That's why we need each other. But it has to be repeated. I mean, one of the greatest characteristics of the very first church is their level of commitment. Their level of commitment. It's why the church wasn't just a one-hit wonder. It's why it's, it's moved on for centuries. It's why over two billion people around the world call themselves followers of Jesus. Right? It's why we exist today, because people took time, all the time, to repeat this, committed to revering and being renewed and responding over and over and over again. And here's the deal. It's true of any area of life. If we are inconsistent with something, we will not develop. Right? We will not develop. It won't be what it could, but you won't be able to develop in the way that you should. I mean, it's like working out, which I'm not very consistent at, you know? One of our members here in the church was like, hey, come work out with me I'm in the mornings uh, before, you know, really early. And I was like, oh, I think I'd rather sleep, you know? But he convinced me and I did it, and I've not been very consistent. Y'all know what I'm talking about here. But I know that if I want to be healthy, if I want my body to be more healthy and, you know, maybe better looking for my wife or whatever... I've got to do it consistently. I can't do it once a month and hope that I'll be healthy. And, and the same is true for us with our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Like following Jesus, we have to repeat this. It has to be a consistent thing in our life. It doesn't mean we need to read our Bible, you know, 14 chapters a day, right? But what if you read the Bible one chapter a day for the rest of your life? One chapter, probably take five minutes. Do you think that you would grow closer to Jesus? Absolutely. And it's not because of how much you did, it's that you did it over and over and over again. And following Jesus, following Jesus is a lot of doing the same thing over again. I had a great pastor friend say to me when I was learning how to preach, and you know, when you when you're first coming out and you want to preach, you want to preach something that people have never heard before. Right? You want people to go, wow, I'm so blown away. I want to give my life to Christ again, you know? That's what you want. And so I would you know, I'd spend all this time, and he's like, Ryan, what we need isn't more information. 
We just need to be reminded of what we already know. Over and over and over and over again. Yes. Following Jesus is one step, one step, one step, one step, one step. Over, over, over again. So I got to ask you, where, where do you find yourself in all of this? You hear this story of Naaman, do you, do you kind of relate to that? Is that the experience of your life right now? I want to follow Jesus, man, it's so murky. You're caught between the desire to follow and the muddiness of your life. Or are you, are you taking the time to, to, to be a part of this Romans 12 sort of recipe of follow, to revere, renew, and respond? Is that a part of your life? Or are those things pretty low on your priorities right now? I just want to take a second to evaluate. My guess is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and is saying, I want to, I want to help you. And, and it really starts here. Maybe, maybe taking more, a, a more consistent shot at reading God's Word on a regular basis. Maybe it's being here on a Sunday morning on a regular basis. Maybe you know that God is asking you to respond in a certain way and you're not doing it. Whatever it is, I, I hope the Holy Spirit moves you today in a new way because we as a church, we as a church want to be people who are being developed by the Holy Spirit as followers of Jesus. That we would revere God, that we would be renewed by God, and that we would respond in ways that changes the world and the people around us. That's who we want to be. That's who I want to be. And maybe you're here today and you're like, following Jesus? Something I've never known. And then what I love about Jesus is that he just simply says, come follow me. Just come follow me. Start, you know what? Just start showing up on a Sunday. Maybe crack this open. Start in the book of John. Start reading what I have said. I will lead you to the same kind of changed life that Naaman experienced. You can follow. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done. There's no condemnation in any of that. You have an opportunity to follow the one true God in the same way that Naaman decided to do.